Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with Dominic Jones, CEO of the Mary Rose Museum and Director of Portsmouth Historic Dockyard. Dominic shares the amazing impact of the joint venture between the Mary Rose Museum and the National Museum of the Royal Navy, and his advice for any attractions looking to start and improve their partnership arrangements. If you like what you hear, subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Dominic, welcome to Skip the Queue. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, I think. You are looking forward to it. You don't need to think about it. Um, Can we just point out, I know listeners, you can't see this, but if you're watching this on YouTube, can we just see, you've got a lovely little I love Skip the Queue graphic in the background there. Look at that. I think it's important to get across that I do love Skip the Queue and it's important to get that across before the icebreaker question. (laughs) Just in case you had a couple and you were thinking, oh, I'm going to be a bit tough. And then Uh, I did that. And I tweeted this morning how excited I am about your forthcoming website attraction questionnaire. So that's a double. That's a double positive, right? Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry, listeners. I've got a special little recording so you understand what we're talking about that will be coming out in the next week or so, so you'll find out more about and that soon. I bought you a rubber. <gasps> your rubber collection. Can you see that? Wow, Mary, look at that. You may or may not get that, depending on how the icebreakers go. So that, that's that's my third attempt. Gosh, I've never been bribed for a good icebreaker it's, question it's before. It's not bribery. It's, it's a nice gift. It's a nice right. gift. Well, let's get cracking on the icebreaker question, shall we? I think I've been quite kind to you. Tell us something that you are really great at cooking um, I, I really like cooking. I actually find cooking really relaxing. So on a Friday or Saturday, I, I often cook at home. So it depends, really. I quite like making my own recipes. So just using what we've got in the house. So, for example, like scallops with chorizo or, um, you know, if you're doing a steak, might do it with some sort of watercress and various cheese or just sort of experimenting. I really, I really like sort of seeing what we've got, putting it together and, and making it work. I think it's important when you're cooking to drink some wine as well. So oh, cooking with wine is is kind of something I enjoy doing. So we can be friends, Dominic. Absolutely, we, we can be friends. Um, also, really great choices of food there. I would definitely eat both of those. You'd be really good on Ready, Steady, Cook then. That would have been your Yeah, I, do you know what? I, I used to watch... So I once, um, once applied for a game show, which I didn't get on. I was very disappointed. Um, but um, I'd really, really say it was one I think I could have done. Because it's not hard, is it? Most things go with things. And it's also about having the confidence to carry it off. And knowing, you know, the only time it went wrong was I once cooked um, uh, for my girlfriend, who's now my wife, a lemon pasta dish. And it tasted awful. And it had lemon rind in it and stuff. So, but apart from that, it's always worked out. Well, I mean, she must have, you must have done all right. She married you. Yeah. She married you in the end. (laughs) All right. Well, our next one, I've gone topical for this. If you were the captain of a pirate ship, yeah, what would be the name of your ship? That's a good one. Oh, I do like pirates. Um, <laughs> I think because I'm Welsh and because I'd want to, you know, I'd want to be a pirate who, a bit like sort of the warrior in the dockyard, where, which isn't a pirate ship, by the way, but when it came in, people normally surrendered. I'd, I want to be like a scary pirate that people would think, oh, don't we? Maybe like the smoking dragon yeah. or something like that. And then we'd like light smoke as we came in. to the, So people are like, oh, here's the smoking dragon. 
Yeah, like that. And yeah. there'd be like a big dragon's head on the front with yeah. like flame and smoke coming out and of people, it. Because a lot of pirates were Welsh. I don't know whether you know this, but a lot I of original pirates were Welsh. It's, yeah, it's massive. Wow. Massive. See, yeah. okay, all right. This is great. That's an excellent answer. I have to say, these are slightly biased questions because I was listening to a few of your podcasts recently and like you had someone from the zoo, oh, what's your favourite animal? Or you had someone from Iapa, what's your favourite ride? And I'm getting a name of pirate ship. <laughs> All right, what's your favourite boat? No, I'm joking. No, I'm, joking. No, I'm, joking. No, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. All right, but what yeah. is your favourite smell? That's my last question. <laughs> Genuinely, we're looking at smell now for the museum because smell is so important. It's something that can make a difference. When I was at Malentusa's Amsterdam, we used smell as well as part of the experience because it just creates that emotive moment. I do like cookie dough and, and cookies and the smell of that sort of baking, which you, you get pumped in in Disney parks. I quite like the smell of red wine. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's food or drink smells I like. But yeah, good question. Good answer. We are at unpopular opinion point. What have you got to share with us? This is a hard one because I've decided to go work on this. And I did have some really cool ones about lager and, and, and dubs and, and stuff. But I decided <laughs> to go with work because one of the things that through my whole career, anyone who knows me will know, is I get really frustrated when people blame the weather. So I think you shouldn't blame the weather for anything because what happens is when someone blames the weather, when the weather's... So I've worked in theme parks and in in museums and aquariums, indoor and outdoor attractions, and you probably know that when it's bad weather, it's great for indoor attractions. When it's good weather, it's good for theme parks, right? So you get people that when... um, it's good weather in theme parks uh, or bad weather in museums. They say, oh, our marketing and our, everything we're doing is brilliant because the visitors are coming. And as soon as it's the bad weather or the good weather, depending on what you are, then it's all about the weather. So our visitors are down because the weather was good if you're mm-hmm. in an indoor attraction. And it really, really irritates me. And it's one of those things. They're, they're mutually exclusive. You can only blame the weather if you give the weather credit when it's good. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's one of those things. If things, if things are good... I always think you should look outside the window and think, right, you know, what's the reason for that? And then things are bad. You should look inside your organisation. It's one of my one of my pet hates, but probably doesn't work for the podcast. So I should probably go with the lager or end ups one. But anyway, there we go. There we go. But it's important, right? It's important. I think it's a good one. It is important. No, I think, yeah, that is important. It's quite, yeah, it's really interesting. I've never really thought about that before. We need to give the weather more credit. <laughs> well, you need to give the weather credit if you're going to use it to blame it's you know for me it's a constant it's, it's something and these days weather forecasts are 10 14 days out so you should be able to plan yeah okay good so, yeah. all right well i'll get off my high horse now yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listeners let us know how you feel also let's know if you want to know about that end ups one as well yeah. i'm intrigued <laughs> um, right dominic i want you to tell us about your background because we met up recently didn't we at the um at the mnh exhibition and you were very humble about coming on the podcast and you said oh I'm not going to have anything you know I've not you've had really interesting people on and I'm not that interesting you are really interesting and you've had such an incredible background tell us a little bit about it and where and how you got to where you are now well I'm I'm, I'm not sure about that I am I, um, I do like listening to your podcast and you have some amazing guests and nine times out of ten I normally think after listening to them right I'm going to either do something that they've suggested or I follow them on LinkedIn or Twitter and think, right, um, you know, let's learn from them. Because I think you should always learn from other people. But um, so my, my career is 
a lot of luck, a lot of opportunity and a lot of chance. When I was uh, growing up, I wanted to be <laughs> a leisure centre manager. You know, like, you probably won't remember, like, the British Empire, but that was yeah. my dream. That was my dream, uh, much to my mum's disappointment. And so that was that was all I ever wanted. So I went to college and did a leisure studies course at H&D. And there was a placement in PGL Adventure, which is like an adventure park. And I was a multi-activity instructor. Absolutely loved it. But then I sort of realised, actually, there's a whole world out there um, and decided I wanted to work in theme parks. So I applied to work at Disney and didn't get it the first time. I was very cocky. Um, I was the wrong sort of person for Disney. But I went back three times and eventually got it. And I did a placement in Disney and it was the best thing I ever did. And it changed my life. It's one of the few jobs that I've left and thought my my life will never be the same again. So good. Um, So I did that and I got my master's degree. I didn't get the doctorate because I went on spring break. But hey, you know, you've got to be, I was young. I was well, young. spring break though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I was young. Um, and then sort of went to a little park and was a ride operator. Um, I remember my friends and some of, the, some of their family were saying, that's a real waste of, because I went to, in between Disney, went to university in Swansea. And they said, it's a real waste of university operating a teacup for £3.50 an hour or whatever it, whatever it was at the time. But I loved it. And, and for me, it was I thought, you know, if you want to become a manager or you want to become a eventually a, a general manager or a director of a theme park, it's really important to know how these things work. So I loved it. And just in case you ever get to operate the teacups, it's not too complicated. It, there's a red and green button. Um, the red is to stop and the green is to start. I mean, it was it was five hours of training, but I, I finally mastered it. And you can't actually make it go faster. So when you when you're there on the microphone and say, do you want to go faster? You can't. It goes faster anyway. But. I loved it. And then very quickly rose through the ranks. So I became a ride supervisor, team leader, area team leader, coordinator. Went to um, Chessington, worked there just at the time when two sorts of bought Thought Parks. So it was a real sort of great time for career opportunities. Then I went to Madame Tussauds, was the customer service manager there and helped create the first sort of contact centre, if you like, pool centre where we sold tickets. So you for things like Rock Circus, which is no longer in existence, but Rock Circus, the London Eye, Madame Tussauds, the Planetarium, and sort of that became the, the Merlin Contact Centre in the future. And then I started applying for loads of jobs, uh, more general manager jobs, and didn't get them and realised that I needed to get some marketing and sales experience. So I left and went to work for Virgin. And then I was there for nearly 10 years and absolutely loved it. And instead of getting the sales and marketing, well, I got the sales experience, I ended up becoming vice president of Europe, Middle East and Africa for the logistics side of the business. And then also based, so we opened up Kenya, had some amazing life experiences. We saw the whole world and then um, was regional vice president sales in Hong Kong for Asia Pacific. So great time. And then my wife became um, pregnant. Obviously, I was involved in that. But um, and it made me realize that um, I probably couldn't do a job where I was traveling 24-7. I mean, for a while, I did literally consider, which makes me sound like a bad person, I could call in from Skype and things like that, and my (laughs) wife was like, come on. So um, we went back to Wales, and it was really hard to find a a job that would allow me to be at home and be around. So I actually thought, well, originally when I went to Virgin, I wanted to have marketing experience. So I actually went to Thorpe Park and the marketing team and looked after the partnerships and promotions, did some really cool things. The Ministry of Sound nightclub deal was there did some um started some did some stuff with Lionsgate Dr. P- a really good time doing you know the the buy one get one free things the pr- partnerships and events got some good bands together on the stage that hadn't been on stage 
or the white boys and the colored boys, if you know your dance music, it was massive. Um, anyway, so I did that for a bit and then got an opportunity to go back to Wales, which is where my wife's family is from. Um, I'm from North Wales, she's from South Wales. So I got a chance to run Oakwood Theme Park, which I absolutely loved and probably would have been there forever if an opportunity hadn't come at Merlin. And Merlin, it was to look after the rest of Europe. And the rest of Europe was basically anything in their midway. So uh, Madame Tussauds Dungeons, uh, Lego Discovery Centre, Sea Life, that wasn't in the UK or Germany. So it was like Istanbul, Helsinki, Paris, Blankenberg in Belgium, Spain. I mean, it was it was brilliant. And I did that for a few years. Then I went and ran Thorpe Park for a few years, which absolutely loved because that was where I started as a teacup operator. And I, and I remember there was a, a guy there, a good friend of mine. He said, I remember when you were on the teacups, he said, one day I'm going to come back and run the place. And I did. So amazing. Oh, wow. And then um, in that time, I had three kids and really sort of was commuting from Christchurch. So decided to change careers again and come into the heritage world and came as the COO of the Mary Rose, which I did for two years. And then uh, during the pandemic became the CEO. So quick sort of, yeah, lo- but lots of luck and op- right place, right time, all those sort of things. But that's good, right? That's Whoa. most people's career. That is amazing. I mean, you've been to so many different places. I love that you went full circle at Thought Park as well. What an incredible story to have gone in there as an operator and then end up running the place. That is amazing. That, yeah, I love that. And actually, all, all the all the jobs I've had have really become part of our, our story. I was talking to someone yesterday about the Mayor Rose and they, they were talking about, you know, what, what they were going to do next and, and but how it was, you know, the Mayor Rose has been massively part of the story. And I said, that's the beautiful thing about work and careers and life. Whatever you do, it becomes part of your story and you're part of their story. So, you know, whether it's Thought Park, whether it's, I mean, I opened up um, for, for Virgin Atlantic, the Nairobi route for logistics and the, and the handling. It was amazing. And, you know, whenever, I, you know, I've been to Kenya probably more times than I've been to Birmingham, you know, so it's, it's so that's part of my story. And, you know, when, when I leave the Mary Rose, which I hope isn't anytime soon, you know, this will always be, a, you know, be my favourite Tudor warship. I mean, <laughs> the only Tudor warship, but also my favourite one. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, that was the answer to my question as well what's your favorite what's your favorite yeah, ship? Well, <laughs> wow I'm blown away by your career I just think you've had such a phenomenal journey to get to where you are now there's something that I want to talk to you about today and that's about your joint venture that you have with the Mary Rose and the National Museum of the Royal Navy I just want to read out a tweet that I saw because this is what sparked this conversation. So this is a tweet that, that went out on the Mary Rose Twitter account. It says, we are very pleased to share that Portsmouth Historic Dockyard saw a 150% rise in visitor numbers in 2021, reported by Alva today. The significant rise in visitors demonstrates the effectiveness of the joint venture between Mary Rose and the National Museum of the Royal Navy in our first year. I am very intrigued by this because... This has been kind of a constant throughout most of the podcast conversations that we have is about how collaborative the sector is. Mm. But this is really specific about two attractions collaborating together to bring more visitors in. I would love you to tell us about this. Well, yeah, the end result's fantastic. 150% increase in visitors. Um, It really feels joined up. My son's school is coming in today. So I was in the visitor centre and I was looking, waiting to see what time he was coming in because he obviously wouldn't tell me the time he's actually in. So I was looking around the visitor centre and I couldn't be prouder when you see the mixture of, sort of victory and warrior and Mary Rose and, and how far we've come since we started. But um, 
if you go back in history, the, the Mary Rose used to be part of Portsmouth Historic Dockyard and there was one ticket and there was a separate company called Portsmouth Historic Dockyard that ran it. And then lots of trust at that, that time, there were lots of trust that fed into it. And then for whatever reason, some of these trusts went independent. And so when I joined the Mary Rose, we were separate. We had a separate um, ticket visitor centre, if you like. So imagine sort of, a, I guess like a, you know, when you're on holiday and there's people trying to get you to go on boat rides or you're trying, they're trying to get you to come into yeah. their restaurant. And literally we're competing. So when a visitor was outside, there'd be the mayor who's saying, hey, come and see Henry VIII's warship, the biggest Tudor collection in the world. I mean, it's amazing. And then there were people next door, hey, come and see the victory and the warrior. And, and it just was really difficult for the customers. And for whatever reason, we, we weren't together and we had these two separate companies. So for quite a while, when I started, uh, along with um, Helen, who was the CEO, and, and Dominic and a gentleman called John in, in Enna Moren, we had meetings to see if we could get closer and to get a deal. And then sort of, um, I think Matthew joined as well from NMRN. And eventually we, we kind of got to agreement. It was about what can we do together? What, what collaboratively can we do? And we came up with three things. We can sell tickets together. We could run a visitor centre together. So that's number one, the visitor side. We could market the destination together and we could do strategic operations like events. So we then looked away and, and came across a deal. And, and for us, it was important that the two parties, so Mary Rose and National Museum all had 50-50 parity of decision. So it wasn't like a one-sided joint venture. And it was really, you know, there's lots of talent in both organisations. So, you know, I, I've always admired what the National Museum and the Royal Navy have done over the years um, and how they've told history and how they bring it to life. And, and obviously, I love the Mary Rose. And so when we put us together, it was just a real opportunity, that synergy. You know when people say one and one and you get three, but it was exactly like that. And it worked really well. So we, we share marketing. Um, so marketing costs we share. We share marketing resource. So Mary Rose marketing people work along with NMRN marketing people. We do things, some things independently. So our trusts are independent. Uh, you know, our conservation, our research and all that sort of stuff. That's just Mary Rose and Adam Rand is just that. Although we are working on some projects together. But in terms of the visitor, we have one visitor centre. We have one ticket you can buy. Lots of options. We could talk about that. Some amazing pricing we did, which allowed us to do that. Because when you're competing against each other, you almost are encouraged to discount more. So, you know, we had at times, you know, the, the, the National Museum of Royal Navy, who was, who was saying Portsmouth Historic Docker then, you know, might have a deal on Groupon. We might have a deal on Woucher. And you'd just be discounting, discounting, discounting. And you wouldn't be really getting across the real value for the customer. So, yeah, it was really hard. And I remember we would really fight for every single visitor because for us, 84% of our money comes from tickets. So I remember we'd get Henry VIII down the front, out the front, we'd have him talking to the visitors saying, oh, you know, um, and people talking in French, and he'd go up in French and say, well, I was the king of France, why are you going to victory, come to my rooms? <laughs> well, he wouldn't be taking them away from victory because that would be bad, but he would be saying, go to both. And, you know, we'd always be positive about Edinburgh, and, uh, but we'd also want people to come to Mayrose because that was how we were going to survive. So was it like, um, just going back to those times then, was it quite like, was it more like a rivalry than, yeah, than really anything? Hard. So it was really it, difficult. It was really hard. I mean, we all respected each other, but it was really hard. It was like one of those ferry terminals or uh, restaurants on holiday. I mean, I, I remember, you know, we would, we would fly a... Uh, you know, like circus marketing, bumping into the brand, uh, destined resort domination, we called it. We would be literally, 
when it was sunny, because you can't blame the weather, when it was sunny, we'd be on the beach with Mary Rose Leaflet saying, hey, get out the cool, we're air conditioned, come to the Mary Rose. We were literally in all the restaurants, we had colour in sheets, come to Mary It was all about getting everyone to, to come. And actually, we quickly realised that the NMRM was spending so much money on getting people to Portsmouth that we needed to make sure when they're in Portsmouth, they came to the Mary Rose. And we did, I mean, when we look back on it now, we had like adverts that had, you know, because we always we've been very lucky with TripAdvisor five stars. I mean, they would have dreamed of that. I thought part we had five stars constantly. Um, so we'd have like posters that say you've just missed the best thing to do in Portsmouth, and then another one turn around. You you know <laughs> like when you go to a um, uh, Camden Town and there's like a McDonald's, uh, a Burger King, and then outside the Burger King there's a sign. Why are you going to Burger King? Going to McDonald's? It was like that. So it wasn't great. That's quite intense yeah. as well, isn't it, yeah. for the visitor? That's a lot of pressure. Well, and I would do it, and I would literally go go down and leave because you've got to leave from the front. And I would put my Mary Rose coach, I've still got here, and I'd be down the center. And we'd be. And I remember coaches would turn up, and I'd get, one of the uh, ladies who was fantastic with us, Sandra. She's now uh, uh, one of our visitor experience managers, but she'd jump on the coach and say, "Have you booked your tickets? Where are you going? Can I tell you about the Mary Rose?" And she'd bring whole coaches in. It was it was hard. It was really. I went to, to sleep every night easy because it was so tiring. Um, and it wasn't sustainable, and we did need to get a, a deal. And, and actually, um, the National Museum of the Royal Navy and the Mayor always treated each other with respect, but we were, it was like the Battle of Victory Gate, and that's not the way to behave, and that's not the long-term way to, to run a business. So what was really great was we got a deal. We got the ability to sell tickets together, and we got the ability to work together. And there's some really super talented people in the National Museum of the Royal Navy and, and in Mayor Rose, and... We did some great things. So, you know, when we reopened uh, after COVID, we did this really cool video where we had um, Henry VIII and we had some of their characters from Warrior and some of their actors uh, all visiting each other's attractions in the lift, you know, wearing face masks, getting hand sanitizer, And it, it just feels joined up. I mean, I, I've done lots of partnerships in, in my career. At Merlin, we had a sea life in Helsinki, which was a joint venture with a, a theme park called Linamaki. If you ever get to interview this lady who ran Linamaki, or she might be the CEO there at PS, she was amazing. But we had this joint venture. See, it's really hard in a joint venture because, especially if it's a 50-50 parity decision one, you've got to get agreement. And that means that you work really hard on doing the right thing. So what's quite nice is if we were on our own, we probably would have done marketing campaigns and other things which were okay. But because we end up working together and we've got to make sure we get that joint agreement, the result is always way better. It's brilliant. And the customers benefit because it's one entrance, it's one ticket. You know, there's a lot more value in it. So um yeah it's been really successful I hadn't realized quite how intertwined the organizations were you know in terms of decision making and marketing like you say and sharing all of those resources you talked a little bit about the visitor center did you have to change like the infrastructure and stuff did you have to build new buildings and and all of that and agree on that well no they they had a big visitor center because I mean they they've got a lot more um footprint more attractions they've got the warrior they've got m33 they've got submarine museum over in victory we've got we've got the mayor which is amazing and so um we had a a building called porter's lodge which was here and then there's the gate and then they had their visitor center and their visitor center was perfect so we moved in there but we agreed to make it look and feel like it was mary rose and, and national museum of the royal navy so we spent a bit of money on the look and feel of it so that was good and same with the brand and the marketing and, and making it feel like it was something new. But yeah, so, so there was a 
a bit of that. I mean, in terms of infrastructure, we went with their ticketing system because it made more sense because it would be a bigger cost for them to change. Um, we went with some of the Mary Rose's media buying because we could buy at the time we're buying media uh, cheaper and 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 better. Uh, and actually, now we're in the process of going to tenders together. So the digital agency we've done together, the PR agency we've done together, and it's great because we. You, you know, it's a bigger portfolio and you get different views. I and mean, I, I always think the best the best way to run any any business. So, for example, the Mary Rose or Thought Park or, or wherever is to talk to your customers, to talk to your staff and then obviously to talk to the, the managed experts. And we get that in spades because we've also got uh, our staff and our customers and our volunteers. But we've got NRN staff and customers and volunteers. And together, we you know, we are getting some really cool ideas and things we can do. So it's working well. As you can see, one hundred and fifty percent increase. I, I mean, I, I've yeah. read it with my own eyes. And and and, and, and I hope you saw NMRN. They did a little nice fist bump reply, and it just is in the spirit of it. We are we are working together, and I think that's so important. It is massively important. You you mentioned something about pricing earlier, and we've spoken about this before. But you said that you'd got, you you did something interesting that you'd implemented that allowed you to grow the yield and the revenue as well. Was this something that you did jointly too? Yeah, it was. So we, so we had to come up with a new pricing structure because we were doing something new. So, so you know, they had, what was it called? Um, full Navy ticket, which was for all of their attractions. Uh, and we had an annual, an annual ticket. So when we merged, we had to come up with sort of a new pricing structure and, and it's a good opportunity to, to change. And, 84% of our business, our, our revenue comes from tickets. Theirs is about, I think, 80% or so. I, I can't remember. So it's still important to them as well. So we had to get the pricing right. And it allowed us to really think about what's the best value for the customer and what's the best thing to do that stops us having to discount heavily. So we created a, it's like a decoy pricing model. You know, like supermarkets have been doing it for years. So, um, you know, if you buy one attraction, it's a really bad ticket. I mean, still a few people buy them. It's a really bad ticket. So it was 20, I mean, it used to be 18 pounds. We put the price up to 24 pounds. It used to be, if you bought one ticket, you could visit that attraction all year. You can only visit it once. So we made it a really unattractive ticket. So that's like your lower decoy. So the idea of that is you only buy that if all you really want to do is go to the Bay Rose or all you want to go is go to the, the, the Victory. And if you've just come to see one of those things, that's the sort of money you would pay. It's very competitively priced with other things in the South Coast. So that, that's what we did. And then we created a three attraction ticket or three ship ticket, which was slightly more money. So that went up to £39, which was the biggest sort of stick, about £15 increase, big, big jump. And that was an annual ticket. That was, you could pick your three attractions and visit them all year. And then we did, but for £5 more, you can have an Ultimate Explorer and have everything, including the sun. And that sort of, um, and that's so, so you've got the, the lower decoy, which is the single traction. Then you've got sort of like the medium decoy, which is three ships. But then you go, but for £5 more, you could do everything. And 80% of people do the Ultimate Explorer and they do everything. And it's so good value. I mean, it's less than the price of a football game. And football game, 50% of the time you're disappointed, you know, and you only really get, you, know, you don't get long, do you? It's, it's, it is incredible value. And you get to go to all the attractions, you get out on the water. It's brilliant. So we've got that. And then we were going to put in an upper decoy. Now, an upper decoy is like a premium, really expensive ticket. So, for, for example, um, you know, we might we have a uh, at Mary Rose. You can go into the ship all for three hundred pound and, and have a, a private experience. And we were going to put put that in, but actually, because the decoy system works so well, we didn't need that. So we've just kept it as twenty uh, single attraction ticket, 
three attraction ticket and ultimate explorer and it's working really really well um so yeah that's that's our that's our price and because of that we don't have to discount because we put all the value and and loaded the value in actually we don't have to discount and then when we do discount we want to reach the right people so for example we do between the months of november and february we do a loyal and local campaign okay. where we go out to PO, uh, post Portsmouth and Southampton uh, regions uh, and we say bring a bill in and you can get like a considerable discount all year round we do a discount for uh, people who've got Portsmouth leisure cards so anyone who's on universal credits they get 50% off and we do some other really cool uh, community engagement stuff between us um, with schools and stuff like that and then if we do do a discount so we you know discounts are still important so there's some amazing partners out there you know get your guide uh, picnic um lots of the, the the providers that sort of really support businesses um uh you know virgin ticket days all that sort of stuff but we do it at the right level so we've got like a playground so whereas before we might have been competing against each other so thinking oh we need a discount by 40 percent or 50 percent, and then give them extra commission so they push it we now do it at a really fair level so there is a bit of a discount but it's not much and then for the consumer we want the cheapest best value ticket to always be on our website yeah yeah and we used to we used a couple of companies so we used a company called um they were called Brandon Corentum. They're now called Magic Little Giants. We used them. We used some insight into what previous businesses had done before. But we copied the American Six Flags website model. If you ever want a, a quick lesson in pricing, just go to Six Flags. Their website is that. I mean, you're into websites, right? That's the oh, yeah. best website for pricing. I love it. And, what, and, I, and I, I check it nearly every month. It makes me laugh how focus they are on decoy pricing and how in your face they are but how you don't know it as a consumer unless you know it's amazing it drives this, my family mad i love it the, anyway yeah this this work this decoy pricing i've never heard that phrase i've never heard that used in pricing before that's that's this, this is all new to me it's like supermarkets you know when you get the you know and remember that our, our we've got a local supermarket near us and the guy did, you know, buy one um, bottle of wine, get one wine free. And then he had, you know, buy or buy one wine for £7 or buy two for £7. We were also going to buy two for £7 or two for £8. You know, it's all that sort of trying to encourage behaviour. But he didn't quite get it because recently I went in, it was like, buy one, pay for one. And I was like, isn't that, that's the same as normal, right? <laughs> but yeah, um, but he's a nice guy, so I bought one. But, um, <laughs> that's my problem. Um, but no, it's the same way supermarkets have been doing, you know, where they try with a club card to get you to purchase things or they're trying to do that. And all we're trying to do is encourage everyone to go for that Ultimate Explorer, which is the best value. It's almost like you can imagine it on the website. It's got signs saying, pick me. So, so even to the extent we still don't, this day, discount our single attraction ticket on our website. We don't give any discount for it. And then we get a £5 discount on the three attractions and £5 on Ultimate Explorer. But yeah, love the, loving the pricing. Love yeah. this. This is such great insight. Thank you for sharing. This partnership is really intriguing to me because I think it seems like the perfect setup, right? Because you're, you're literally neighbours in the same area. You could make this work really well. What advice would you give to other attractions that are thinking about partnering with other attractions like what what would be your t- kind of top tips for people to make this work well i mean it's, it's really hard you've got to think about because often people see it as competitors but you've got to think in terms of getting the customers or the guests or the consumers whatever you want to call them giving them the best value and you know during lockdown 
uh, when we were being interviewed and stuff, we'd always say, you know, come visit the Mayorals or come visit, once we did the joint venture, come visit the historic doctor. But also, if you can't come visit, go visit your local museum, go visit anyone. It's important to, to share that. And I think there are always benefits of working together. You're always stronger together. When I was at Oakwood Theme Park in Wales, amazing theme park, um, you know, you're in West Wales and we were thinking, well, how, you know, how do we, how do we, reach further and, and advertise more and actually we ended up working with a, a, a farm which was a stunning farm that had rides and animals called folly farm down the road and we worked then with uh manor house wildlife park and heatherton and you actually work together and you can work together and i would always say try it on something so try like try it whether it's an event or try it whether it's a, a destination marketing campaign mm-hmm. i mean we're we're working with the people in portsmouth so with the people of Portsmouth, that sounds a bit grand. We're working with attractions in Portsmouth uh, on trying to get people into Portsmouth. So we do something with Portsmouth Council where the Spinnaker Tower and D-Day Museum and Mary Rose and, and National Museum of Royal Navy and now Portsmouth is talking together. We advertise in London because actually advertising London individually is really expensive. But if you do it collaboratively, there's lots of ways to do stuff collaboratively and find another angle. So we've, we've got other people on our site that we're not partners with at the moment. So, you know, the, the, the Portsmouth Naval Base Property Trust, amazing people, you know, who run some of the small boats that we did, the gunboat um, race with the D-Day veterans on the weekend. Fantastic. Um, so yesterday we had a really great volunteers tea party to celebrate the end of volunteer. And we had the volunteers from the Property Trust. We had the volunteers from the NMRN, the volunteers from the Mary Rose. There's always some synergy. And I would say in any way, find it. Everywhere I've worked, I've tried to get partnerships with local businesses, with other with other theme parks, with other attractions, because actually it's 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 your stronger together, you know. And if you're going, especially after a local market, because you've always got to love your locals, that's the most important thing. If they see that you actually the sort of people that work with each other, you know, it makes them almost more proud of you. You remember the game makers in the London Olympics in 2012 and how amazing they were and how they did that that sort of course where everyone was, you know, recommending all this stuff to you. That, that's kind of what you want. But I would find some common ground, whatever it is, whether it's um, lobbying. You know, we, we found common ground at Thorpe Park with other attractions to lobby the government for things, for VAT, to love it, to, to, or whether it's in Oakwood, trying to get some advertising to get people from Bristol to cross the bridge to come into Wales, or whether it's... Um, you know, I'm trying to think, in Amsterdam, we worked, so Madame Tooth was Amsterdam and Dungeons, which I was responsible for. We worked with Heineken because they had this amazing experience and with tours and tickets. So we'd make sure that if anyone came to Amsterdam, they came to our attractions. You know, it's 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 those sort of partnerships, finding the, the common ground and making it work. And don't be scared of it because you are always bigger and better together. And customers have so much choice. So it's it's working, you know, working together delivers amazing results. I would never want to go back to, to not being part of a partnership with the National Museum Royal Navy. And I would love it if, you know, we could do more. We are we are keen to do more with other attractions in the South to get people to come to the South Coast, to come to Hampshire. But yeah, I would definitely do. And also you get bigger buying power. So say, for example, you know, Merlin are really strong. So they've got, they don't necessarily, necessarily need those with other partners because they can do a, a campaign in the press you know, the sun days go out and you've got all the Merlin attractions. But if you're individual attractions, you can't. So if you do a partnership with your competitors, you can then suddenly say, right, we want to do a, a days out, you know, campaign in the press between all these independent attractions. I mean, it's brilliant. I, I, I love it. And I love also this industry, how collaborative 
especially the heritage side is you can say, oh, I was thinking about doing this. What do you think? Or what do you think about that? And everyone will share and everyone is almost willing you to be successful. It's crazy, right? It's one of the best industries in the world. If you were in, I don't know, the restaurant business, you wouldn't be doing that, would you? But Or, or another, it's so good. Anyway, I hope they've answered your question. Oh, absolutely. I get very passionate about it. I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm so glad that you do because it answered my question perfectly. And I think you've just, you've given so much value to listeners today in terms of all of the things that you've done. I couldn't have asked for a better response. Thank you. Um, it's a big year for the Merry Rose, isn't it? And I think it would be very right that we talk about that. So it's your 40th year celebrations this year, isn't it? Yeah, 40, 40 years since the raising. So 1982 October, I, I am obviously old, older than you. So I remember watching it on, on Blue Peter um, as a child. And I mean, it was, it was the world's first underwater live broadcast. It was watched by over 60 million people. Wow. I mean, it was amazing of its time. Um, and so, yeah, 40 years. So, and because of that, we've now got the world's biggest Tudor collection of everyday life. There's nowhere else in the world you can get closer to Tudor England. And we've got the biggest maritime salvation. So we've got um, a lot of plans to celebrate. Unfortunately, the pandemic got in the way. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, I'm not going to lie, it was horrific. There were times when we were drawing a list of who we we're going to give the keys to. It got really, really bad. And, I, and it got dark for everyone. I, I, and I, Every museum, every attraction, every business. I'm not trying to say, oh, poor us. Everyone had that tough time. But it meant that actually investing, we were going to do another building. We were going to do a whole uh, museum dedicated to the raising. And actually, um, probably one of the best things that came out of it is we didn't because we got the joint venture, which is brilliant. Um, Our trading improved. We had a fantastic summer. And then we're like, right, we should really do something for the 40th anniversary. But we can't afford taking another lease of another building or building another building. So what can we do? And um, we managed to come up with a, a few plans. So the first thing we're doing is we're doing a TV documentary, which is going to be brilliant. Uh, wow. coming in October. Honestly, I've seen um, the, the, they started some of the, the filming and the pre limbs. It's going to be brilliant. I can't oh, get too much so away. Exciting. We've had to sign something, but it's going to be great. And actually, we even had, because um, we're responsible for the rec site, so we had Chris and Alex, who helped raise the Melrose, our head of inter- interpretation, head of research, amazing people. They were out diving the other day, because we're still responsible for the rec site, and it just gives you goosebumps. I saw the footage, and it's, oh, it's amazing. So we've got that. We're also building a 4D experience. So when we reopened last summer, we opened with this thing called 1545, which was an immersive experience. And we wanted to get across. The Melrose didn't sink on its maiden voyage. It was Henry VIII's ship that he, when he came to the throne, he, he commissioned two ships. The Melrose was one of them. It fought in lots of battles. It had a long life and then sank defending Britain in a battle, by the way, that the French who were invading was twice the size of the Spanish Armada. But because history is written by the winners, we don't hear that. <laughs> Um, but amazing. So we did this amazing immersive experience. We've got Dame Judy Dench to do the voice and you feel like you're going to get sunk. The, 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 um, this, well, the ship does sink and you go under and then you go into the museum and it's so good. And we're like, we want to do something for the end. We want to have a finale that says, you know, because the thing about our museum, it's authentic. There's 19,700 artefacts. You can't get that anywhere else. I mean, it's just brilliant. But anyway, you, um, so we thought, how are we going to end this? And the thing we don't do justice to is the finding, the raising, the excavation, all the divers. There was 500 volunteer divers, um, you know, from the 1960s, people were looking for it. I mean, Alexander McKee, who found it, you know, was on the news and people would say, 
uh, it was like an Indiana Jones movie. They would say, oh, he's, he's, you know, he's never going to find it. And other people were looking, the Navy were looking, and there was a bit, you know, in Indiana Jones where they've got the map the wrong way around. And, and all of that, brilliant. So they found him. Um, and then they've got Margaret Rule, who was this amazing lady who had, uh, when, she, when she went to university, I think she didn't get a place at university at first because she was a woman. And this is, this is amazing today's what? day story. And she didn't die. She was an archaeologist. And then she, she said, I'm going to die. Taught herself to die. And without her, this museum, the Melrose wouldn't be here. So Alexander McGee, Margaret Rule, two amazing people. Both what of woman. them. Both of Yeah, what a woman. But and both of them, both of them, without them, we wouldn't be here. So they, we've got their, um, we, want, we want to tell their story. But also we want to put the, the guests and the visitors to what it's like to die. So with a mixture of real life filming, footage from these 500 volunteer divers, outtakes from the Chronicle programmes are on the BBC, including, if we can get it to look right, even His Royal Highness Prince Charles diving. It is stunning. So we're going to take the guests on uh, a bit of a pre-show with the history. Then they're going to get get into the 4D theatre and it'd be like you're boarding a rib going out to the wreck site. There'll be a dive briefing. You'll have the wind in your hair. The seats will be buzzing. But I'm hoping it's this good. I better ring the people after. <laughs> you're, really, you're really, you're really booking out, darling. Yeah, well, they better deliver. No, they're brilliant. Figment, amazing. They're so good. So, so you get in there and then you dive and then you go down and you see what it's like to be under the water. The Royal Engineers were involved. The divers were involved. And then you'll be there when the May Rose is raised. We're even going to recreate the moment, you know, where it, Oh, it'd be brilliant. So we're doing, in answer to your question, we're doing a documentary in a 4D experience. <laughs> and, and we've got anniversary lectures. So if you're around in October, come and get involved. We've got a lot of people uh, from historians to divers to just talking about the relevance of the Mary Rose and, and the history of it and also the, the diving. And we've got a new coffee table book coming out. So we've got lots and lots and lots going oh, on. Oh, my goodness. And it's if we had done on. it the old way, I don't, if we'd have done it with a new museum and a new building, I don't think it would have been as good. I mean, I, I, I joined the Divers Legacy Group. So about 150 of the divers uh, on a Zoom call a, a few weeks ago. And it's just, it takes you, these people who, you know, some of them are retired now or, you know, bear in mind this was 40, 40 50 years ago. And hearing their stories, and it's it's living history, and it's so important that we tell these stories and capture them now, because you know, in in fifty years they won't be here, and and part of our responsibility, our, our charity objectives, if you like, is to tell the story and and forever. And I think that bit of the story is missing. So if that's one thing that we do while I'm at the Mayor Rose, I'll be really proud. So oh, that is wonderful, and it is you don't have so to come, cool. right. Well, well, this is the question. When when do I need to come to experience everything that you've just sold to me? Because I am sold. <laughs> well, yeah. we want, you probably want to come after our anniversary because we're hoping to launch all this around that time, which is in October. October. Which is now this is an interesting one because if you this this was a good, good conversation with our trustees and our board. Do you want to launch something? in the off-peak period don't you want to launch it at easter or the summer or mm. uh, and my view is we should launch it because it's the right thing to do and we're launching this in october because it's a legacy we want the divers there we want as many of them there as possible and it's going to be at the mary rose forever this is the ending to the mary rose museum so it doesn't have to it's not like we're launching something for easter or summer so we are going to launch it in october so i'll, I'll let you know the details come and come and get involved oh absolutely i i am there i am um... If it's as good as what you've just described, then it's going to be one one amazing day out. It'd be better. And then the, 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 and the final thing, sorry, which we're not doing, 
but I wanted to do is we've still got some of the main roads down in the ocean. So one day I'd like to bring that back up. I don't think I'll be here to do that because it's probably been 15 years time or something because we need to raise a lot of money and do that. But we, we, we want to bring the rest of it back up or whatever's left down there back up. Um, and that's quite exciting because, you know, our story continues. You know, we, we still do research. We did this, we did this fantastic piece of research on skeletons, on human remains. It's a really cool diversity story. Out of the eight skeletons, um, one was Spanish, one was Venetian, two were North African, second generation, not slaves. A real diversity story in Tudor England. Amazing. Maybe the Victorians whitewashed history, who knows? But what a great story. And we keep learning. And every, we've got this amazing team of curatorial staff and um, all of our staff, from the maintenance to the visitor staff to the volunteers. And every day we learn something new. So there's so much we want to do. Um, and then at some point, have you seen The Dip on Netflix? Yes. Yeah, yes. great film. So great good. Film. But I, I, I want to write to Netflix to do the dive. Can you imagine this, this story about human endeavour with the Mary Rose? It would be amazing. Oh, so we'd like to do that as well at some point. But we just don't have enough hours in the day, right? <laughs> no, just add it onto that long list of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Thank so you. So if you know anyone on Netflix, let us know. Or if anyone from Netflix is listening, get in touch. We want to do that. It'd be cool. I would I've love it cast, if someone... I've already cast it. If someone from Netflix was listening, that would be incredible. Who have you casted? Who? Well, so local, because you've got to get local. So for, for Margaret Rule, I reckon Kate Windsor, she'd do a good job. Okay. Great actress. Um, I mean, we've already got Dame Julie Dench, so the same sort of calibre in our 15 foot 5 experience. And then also another local who could bring the Alexander McKee, uh, Kenneth Branagh. But to be honest with you, um, Netflix can do all of that because let's be honest I'm not going to make movies am I? I'm running a museum but, <laughs> I, but mean, I just think it'd be really cool it'd be really I, cool. I don't think there's anything that you couldn't do Dominic to be yeah. honest after this podcast so who knows really cool. yeah, <laughs> right you know. last question for you uh, a book that you that you love that you'd recommend to our listeners um I love this question and I've really struggled um so I went back like with the um I went back and thought about a work example because I think that's probably more useful so in all of my career I've come across lots of people who talk about strategy and I have my own view on what strategy is um but there are lots of books you can read about strategy and there's only one book that in my opinion that is worth reading and it's this good strategy bad strategy hopefully it's still in print it is the only book to read on strategy it's the best book I've okay. And without this book, I don't think I've been able to do half the stuff that I've done because it's all about how you formulate your decisions, how you make your decisions, what the outcome is. It's about execution. It's about everything that, that for me, um, you need to be successful. So I recommend this book. Really good book. Good strategy, bad strategy. I have not read that book, but I feel like that's going to go. Yeah, that's going to go top of my pile. All right, listeners, if you want to win a copy of this book, as ever, you just go over to our Twitter account and you retweet this podcast announcement with the words, I want Dominic's book. And then you will be in with a chance of winning it. Oh, my goodness. I've had such a good time listening to you today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. It's been so valuable. I just, yeah, that's blown me away today. I'm, I'm very excited about coming to visit. And thank you for sharing the insight into your partnerships. 
Yeah, absolute pleasure. And thanks for being kind with the icebreakers. I want you, you're going to get the rubber. That's going to oh, be yay, I've got the rubber. Because <laughs> I was really upset that you've got a rubber collection without the Mary Rose. That actually hurt my feelings. Hurt well, my feelings. I'm sorry. I've never actually visited the Mary Rose. Well, so we're going to put that right. We are going to change this, aren't we? So, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I will come and get my rubber in person then. Don't post it to me. I'll come and get it in person when I come and visit. Yeah, let's do that. Thank you. Keep it, keep it up. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.